0: Hello and welcome to Take Me Through Your Day. On this episode, we have a solution architect. I'm not going to begin to explain what that is. He does a great job of explaining right at the beginning of the episode. It attracts all of this IT stuff that I know nothing about. My brother's in there, he's a great, you know, IT person to ask questions. I got nothing. I spent the last couple nights making a soap dispenser I saw on Amy Sedaris' YouTube page. I am unqualified, regardless, it's a great interview, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of stuff going on, I really think you'll enjoy it. So, that being said, if you would like to be on the show, or you know someone who would like, we can be reached at TakeMeTYB on all social media and at TakeMeTYB on gmail.com. On, at, whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't get it. Enjoy the show. So what do you currently do for a living? Wow, that's not a short answer. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. We got time. Yeah, so... Um... The kind of role I do is called a solution architect, but that's a very generic term that means lots of different things in lots of different worlds. But in the technology space, it's usually a role filled by somebody who's got kind of a broad base of knowledge around technology architectures in a certain area. So in some cases, it's business applications. In some cases, you could be like a network Solution architect and design computer networks, and that sort of stuff. So I'm a solution architect, and I focus in mostly in business application in the business application space. So what's the the short answer? Like you're at a party and you just want to blurt something out. I just say I'm an IT consultant. All right, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Okay, now um we don't usually we don't always go into background, but I want to go into background a little bit with you. Um, in high school, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you have an idea? Not really. I had a really cool teacher who uh, was also my track coach and my football coach who was having to be the calculus teacher, like a math teacher. So I had yeah. him in junior high math, and then he ended up moving to the high school around at the same time I moved to the high school, and so I had him for, like, trigonometry or something, and then I had him for calculus, and he was always encouraging me um, to try different things outside the class, and he actually convinced me to enroll in a computer programming class down at Pitt when I was a senior on Saturdays. It was a special program for high school students. So that was really my first exposure to, you know, real technology from a application standpoint. So it got me interested, but I didn't know, like, you know, it wasn't like Bill Gates or anybody who knew, like, oh, <laughs> this is going to change the world. I need to go do this, right? I was like, this is kind of cool. I kind of understand what you could do with it. And then... When I ended up going to Carnegie Mellon, I ended up taking more programming classes and becoming more and more interested in it. But I was still a little intimidated by some of the hardcore geeks that were there that really had been doing that for a long time. Like whose dad bought them the, you know, the TND, TRs, and they were programming. (laughs) What what (laughs) years are we talking just so we get like a good time frame? So I was in high school from like 81 to 83. And then I was at Carnegie Mellon from 83 to 87. Okay, perfect. So... When you get to Carnegie Mellon, what is the idea? What's your major? What are you focusing on primarily? So kind of the way I've whole managed both my college career and my professional career is not knowing exactly what I wanted to do, but knowing directionally things that I was interested in. So I actually chose a major there that wasn't pure technology because I wasn't A, I wasn't sure how good I was going to be at it. And B, I wasn't 100% sure that that's what I wanted to do. So I picked a major that was a combination of computer science classes, um, management science classes, like production and operations research, and then a little bit of just pure business classes, like accounting. They called the whole major, it was an applied mathematics major. And I think the specialty was operations research, which is kind of a weird thing that not a lot of people know about or do in the real world, but it was this good mix of different things. So it worked for me because exposed me a bunch of different (laughs) types of things from a learning standpoint. And then, you know, when it came time to go find a job, it opened up kind of different doors because I didn't have to just go look for a technical job if I didn't want to. I could also go look for a business job if I wanted to. All right. So let's go from you graduate there. Uh, What's the job hunt like? What are you looking for? What, What kind of opportunities pop up? Yeah, pretty much the same way I picked my major. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. One of my fraternity brothers who graduated a year ahead of me went to work for a consulting company called Anderson Consulting. It was actually called Arthur Anderson back then, and they had a division called Anderson Consulting. Um, And he's like, oh, this is cool. You know, you could do all this different stuff and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so I interviewed for a couple of more traditional IT jobs, but I also interviewed with them and really kind of liked... The fact that there was this whole different set of things you could possibly end up doing, and oh, okay, and that was kind of why I went down that path. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I like that. So, and it got to travel a little too, which I didn't travel much growing up, and um, I was like, "Well, this will be cool. I can just go see the country, even if it's like really crappy parts of the country." Which it turned out to be really crappy parts of the country <laughs> most of the time. But <laughs> what were you doing when you traveled? What was your uh, what was the gig? It was weird. My first couple of years. I worked on just this whole different spectrum of projects, um, some of which I was completely unprepared for educationally. The very first project I landed on was for GM, General Motors, and we were supposed to go in and help them apply just-in-time manufacturing principles to one of their manufacturing plants and kind of help them redesign this manufacturing plant. I wasn't an industrial engineer, I didn't know anything about just-in-time manufacturing and the partner on the, the job gives me this book. It's actually a fascinating book if you ever get a chance and you're interested in reading business books called The Goal, which simplifies and tells in story format all of the key principles around just-in-time manufacturing, he's like, read this before you show up on <laughs> Monday. All right, now I need you to <laughs> jump in happening. a lot on this because all yeah, the well, tech
1: stuff is so over my head. I already have but, a million questions, so. Well, yeah,
0: just yeah. just fire off when we get there because the, the ultimate goal is um, to get through your,
1: your day yeah.
0: and your current job. But let's, yeah, tackle some yeah, of these questions before we get
1: there. Build up the background a little bit too. So how, how long were you there for for that company?
0: So I worked at, um, at Arthur Anderson for about four and a half years. And, you know, worked on a project like that, but then went and worked on some very traditional programming projects, which is when I really started to see the application of computer science in the business world. And I actually started to get pretty excited about that and starting to really try and focus on that. So, yeah, I was here for about four and a half years. And then, then what was the next step after that? Well, it's so, so I interesting. It. I, I got laid off and I didn't know what layoffs meant or what I, I thought I just got fired, but I had, yeah. hadn't I had great performance reviews and everything. And he's like, Yeah, we're letting go. I'm like, What the hell? You know, <laughs> and I had just gotten married, just got married, and uh, yeah. And so I was like totally blown away. And so I, one of my buddies who worked also had gotten laid off in the same um, kind of series of layoffs. And so he and I ended up going to another smaller consulting firm because um, they were getting ready to start a big project. And we hung out there only about four months because the guy who ran the firm was a total crazy dude. And, <laughs> and he was trying to negotiate with his client. And he didn't, he um, his company was more about contracting programmers out like on a onesie twosie basis. And he sold this big project and project work in the it world is much different than kind of contracting work right you can say oh i'll give you fred for 20 dollars an hour um for however long you want them and that's easy but if you say i'm going to guarantee delivery of this computer system in the next nine months for x price the customer expects you to sign up for a lot more risk yeah. mm-hmm. and this guy didn't understand that or wasn't willing to do it after he had already sold <laughs> yeah so we ended up kind of starting the project at risk and then negotiations fell apart and they killed the project and I was like, yeah, this place just doesn't, you know, so I ended up leaving consulting for a while and went to work for Mellon bank doing what just it stuff. IT stuff. stuff. So I was working in their business applications, actually in the securities lending group where they have business applications that they use to manage the lending of securities to other banks and that sort of stuff. And, um, it was just it was kind of much older technology than I had been working with and just really slow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and what year are we talking about? This would have been, let's see. So I worked at Arthur Anderson from 87 to 91, spent like the next year bebop in between so This would have been 92. I only stayed there for eight months. And then I went back into consulting. I was just like, I got to get back
1: into consulting because <laughs>
0: this is driving me crazy. And I went to work for a company called Ernst & Young. In their IT consulting group and um, did a lot of the same stuff I did at, at Arthur Anderson, um, but with more of a focus on application stuff now, because that's what I knew I liked. And hung out there for, I guess, about five years as well. That name sounds really familiar. It's um, So back when I graduated, there used to be the largest accounting firms in the world were called the Big Eight accounting firms. And then they merged and became the Big Six And after that first set of mergers, so there was a firm called Ernst & Winnie and a firm called Arthur Young, and they merged out of the big eight to to form one of the big six that was called Ernst & Young. Okay. And I was there right after the merger, and they were just getting their technology practice in Pittsburgh going. And um, so it was fun because it was a big firm, but the group in Pittsburgh was pretty small. There was only like 15 of us, 10 or 15 of us. And so, you know, we got to grow the local practice there and do that all right cool so so you
1: you were a lot in on a lot of the growth of it too so i i assume things were just
0: changing every single week quite honestly not as fast they're changing now and have been in the past three years Mm -hmm. um change was happening definitely but it um it happened over longer periods of time so i was kind of getting into the business right around the time that Technology was shifting from mainframe, like these big monolithic computers, um, to technology called client-server. So the mm. the big horsepower machines were getting smaller, and the PC had just emerged on the market. And so people figured out, well, instead of having these big monolithic computers with these stupid, essentially stupid TV screens that you could just type into, I could use the power of the PC and these smaller computers and that's where the client server computing came in so the pc was the client and the mm-hmm. smaller you know, mini computer was the server and so this whole new set of applications space was born and with windows which came out in the mac you had a graphical user interface right so before yeah. that everything was all character based and typing everything in yes yeah. so think of pong compared to halo that's what, like working on a, a green, it was all monochromatic. So it was all yeah. green, or if you were using a deck box, it was orange. But it was all one color, and it was just characters, and it was like 640 by 480 pixels. and <laughs> I, Most people
1: were intimidated by that, too, I bet.
0: Yeah, and, you know, but it was easy because there wasn't as many things to click on, and as much, you couldn't do as much. So the applications were pretty simple, and teaching people how to navigate them was. Reasonably simple, but mm. yeah.
1: So, like nowadays, it seems like when someone gets into the IT field, they have to start with some sort of just desktop support almost. And was it kind of even a thing back then, or was it you did you kind of well, just skip over
0: that? Desktops didn't exist when I first got in, so the IT guys I knew were guys that were loading these big magnetic tapes onto the main thing, like they were. <laughs> Demigods, right? Because they lived in this magical room with elevated floors and air conditioning that had locked doors, but big glass windows. So
1: <laughs> everybody would
0: walk by and see them, but nobody could go in.
1: Mm.
0: So those were kind of like the, so if you were an entry level guy doing just basic IT back then, you you were learning how to load the card reader or work the one printer that was hanging off of this big giant mainframe and all the print jobs would queue up and you would have to sort the print jobs by their job number and put them in these little bins so people could come by and pick them up. And, wow, you know, it was really crazy, right? There's no self-serve anything. So that's what IT guys did back then. And then when the PCs came around, um, they still weren't always networked. And so your IT guy who supported the PCs was usually somebody in the business who was a bit of a nerd on the side and was like, hey, we should get some PCs in here because we can do this, that, or the other. And then they were the guys who got stuck supporting them. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't until local area networks came into the world Mm -hmm. that you really had kind of the IT roles that you're probably more familiar with, like desktop support Mm -hmm. and networking issues and and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was probably... It started to emerge a little when I was in college, but it wasn't probably until the mid '90s where they became prevalent and you actually had, you know, IT guys whose full-time job was, say, supporting the local area network. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were there for like five years, you said. At yeah. Young, yeah. And I was traveling a bit, and it was I had our second child and was on the road a lot, and I didn't. I'm starting to miss a lot, and I wasn't yeah. super happy about it, and so decided to get back out of consulting, go back into industry. But now that I had a better idea of what I was looking for, I could be a little more selective and actually had accepted a job with Oracle, which is a very large technology player. Back then, their primary focus was on database systems. And I was going to do, it was going to be a local Pittsburgh kind of salesy project management yeah. role wasn't my, my dream job, but it was something that was going to pay pretty well and keep me you know, really close to home. And as I, I had verbally accepted an offer from them, and um, I was still traveling for my current job, and I got a call from um, the only value that came out of those two little stints I did in between consulting gigs was I met people that would help me in later in my career in various yeah. ways so when I was at that small consulting firm in addition to the guy I went there with I met another guy who ended up becoming the CIO of the city of Pittsburgh uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> and then when I went to Mellon Bank I met this guy who ended up um, working with some other guy who happened to be in <laughs> him and a guy named started free markets <laughs> yeah. and so he called me and my buddy called me and he's like hey I Working at this little startup company, you know, would you be interested in coming on board? And I'm like, well, I just accepted this offer, and you know, I really want to stay in town. He's like, well, this would be totally in town, so just come down. It was like Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, he's like, just come down over right right before the holiday weekend and just talk to. The... So I went down there and I just fell in love with these guys. Really cool stuff they were doing. Technology was cool. It looked like it was going to move fast and. Um, and it was more interesting than just selling database software. So yeah. called the guy up from Oracle, said, sorry, dude. <laughs> sorry. hate to happened. bail on you, but I'm going to bail on you. And I uh, went to work for those guys. And just that was a rocket ride at that point. When you talk when talking about things changing, that's when things started changing. Because my first year there was right around the time eBay started. Mm-hmm. and um, And web technologies really started to become more... Um, mainstream from a development standpoint and people started looking at them as application development platforms not just web surfing stuff right Mm -hmm. and so it was we were growing super fast so there was a lot of change just within the company I think I was employee 35 the next year we were 90 the year after that we were up to like 270 to 300 and then we were a thousand so my yes. first four years there we tripled <laughs> yes. in size every year <laughs> that's crazy yeah. um and technology was changing crazy as well and so that was probably the wildest time of my career as far as change and yeah, that's a lot going on in four years yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, do, I do want to go through that a
1: little bit go too, ahead just go to ahead. even i don't even know where to start like <laughs> how to even ask some where to start on that one what was the first big project you guys were
0: working on so the first thing I had to do when I got there was it was the Wild West so they had two or three developers and was trying to my buddy was trying to manage them and also kind of tackle some other projects and they were doing you know their practices around developing and releasing software were not very disciplined um, I can imagine. a lot of no-no's <laughs> And so the first thing I was doing was trying to just instill a little bit. I mean, and you had to be careful because you had to be fast, you know, and sometimes process really slows things down. And so I was like, okay, we, we at least got to do this and we can't do that. and let's start there. you know And so it was just the first six months was getting the team to trust me and then getting um, me to get them to start doing just some of these small process changes and putting a little bit more discipline and rigor. And then, um, you know, we started moving faster and better and growing, but the first big project project was building a new version of their software. So they did these reverse auctions. So it's kind of like eBay in reverse. If a company, a big company, like a, an automotive manufacturer, like a Ford, when Ford builds cars, they design every aspect of the car out in infinite detail, right? They design, The zip ties that hold the cables together, like everything, right? And they source every single part before they start manufacturing. And so what we did was say, okay, if you're going to build a new line of the Ford Taurus, which was kind of the big car back then, you need um, 80 bajillion of these plastic fasteners that are going to hold the door panel onto the frame. Mm -hmm. And they had to source them from some extrusion plastic fastener maker, company right yeah (laughs) and so we would we would put together this bid package for them with all the specifications help them go out and find qualified suppliers and then the suppliers are essentially bid on the right to and whoever came in the cheapest yeah it wasn't always cheapest guy wins but for the most part you know it was let's drive the price down and then here you know here's your lowest bidder here's your second lowest bidder and here's the qualitative aspects of their bid because they still had to respond to things like well how are you are you going to be able to meet our just-in-time manufacturing time frames and that sort of stuff but it really helped um for things that were more commodity like like a fastener because there's really nothing special about a fastener um help drive competition and transparency and it was really fascinating to me i got a lesson i I took microeconomics in college and didn't understand jack (laughs) and i worked there for like a year and i felt like i was a microeconomics expert because i understood (laughs) supply and demand curves and all this other crazy stuff and um and then we started introducing different types of um, auction formats so there's just bidding but there's all sorts of other ways you can essentially game the market not game it, but can manipulate it, you know, so you can have blind bidding where the only feedback you get is you're not in first place. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, you can do, and we we actually patented a bunch of it, a bunch of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I was fortunate to be able to work with a bunch of really smart guys like that I have my name on like a dozen different patents around the bidding technology. That's awesome. And is this this software that kept track
1: of it or is it was just, Like how involved was somebody to say, okay, I do need fasteners. What was the process on that? So we
0: had a team we called our market making team, which is a bit of a wall street term. So there's a lot that goes on in wall street. Like when people do options and they put together leverage buyouts, all that stuff, like guys go and make markets, right? They find bidders Mm -hmm. that are interested in this thing. And, you know, and so that's essentially what our market making team did. They would go out and find suppliers based on the specifications of the parts we were bidding. And then our technology was what we used to manage the actual okay. auction. So, so they were like... the ones using the software. So yeah, we would, it, back in those days, we would ship disks <laughs> out to suppliers. Brilliant. We would do Love. a phone training with them. Like we'd call them up at a specific time. And you didn't even have technologies like Skype or any of that stuff back then, yeah. right? So training people on technology was a little challenging. Um, but we would... Call them up and and okay now did you click on this and what are you seeing you know it was kind of interesting to listen to our trainers train people but they did a great job so we train them on that and then they would log in at a specified date and time and we would open the auction and they would start submitting bids and get whatever feedback we were giving them based on the auction format and and we had this big command center which was really cool <laughs> that we had we would put the so we had the a graphical curve of the bids. And we would put this big thing up on the big screen and just show the auction going in real time. And some of them got pretty crazy. Like, people would be, hey, there's this crazy auction going on, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody in the company would be running over, like, looking at this ding, 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 ding. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was really cool at times. It was uh, was pretty wild. Even just the breakdown of everything like that, just because of how everything is now, that that alone is just mind-boggling to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think of the things I do now and the things I would have had to do back then to do the same thing, I do now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it is—it's mind-boggling. All right, so how close are we to now? What do, what do we got? Yeah, so in between? Spent about six years in free markets. Okay, um, we yeah. got bought by a company called Ariba, which is a big uh, enterprise software company that ultimately got bought by uh, Oracle, ironically. And um, at the time they had their development team out West and I wasn't particularly interested in moving out West and they weren't particularly interested in necessarily pulling all of our technology people over anyway. Um, and so I took a kind of whatever I got from all of that. And and then I went to work for a small company um, that um, specialized in an area called electronic data interchange. So it's some um, business transactions over what, Back then were called value-added networks, but today they just happen over the internet. Yeah. And so the company was pretty cool because it helped small businesses do business with large businesses like Walmart or Target. So if you think about um, like the Christmas stuff you see in Target, right? Yeah. That's typically like these small manufacturers that really have a seasonal business. Yeah. But if they want to sell at Target and Walmart, they have to do stuff electronically like walmart sends them a purchase order that says i want a thousand of your twinkle lights packages and they need and to just be some here old by... guy that looks at that like what and they need to be here by wednesday <laughs> yeah and they had to respond electronically and say with an acknowledgement saying we will ship you those and they will be there by then and in the back end it was some guy reading the paper and yeah <laughs> but so what we would do is we would intercept all those transactions for them and then if they used like quickbooks or some other small accounting package we would give them the data so that they could put it in there but they just would, essentially translating yeah the, we would respond yeah. to walmart for them and and that sort of stuff and so it was kind of fun but in the process i was trying to revamp their platform and started evaluating technology platforms and microsoft was one of the platforms we evaluated and we didn't end up not choosing them but i gave them all sorts of feedback on that particular platform and then six months later they were like hey we're going to rebuild this thing can you come and do it for us essentially (laughs) what ended up happening and so in a very whirlwind two-month process uh i moved my whole family out from pittsburgh (laughs) to seattle (laughs) that wasn't just a two-month like i interviewed on halloween day and we were sitting in our new house on december 29th It's crazy. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, it was insane. I think if it would have been more prolonged process, we would have probably talked ourselves out of it. But yeah, yeah, probably. That's That's good. It's exciting. would have it. It worked out for that. so So is that where you're currently at? No. So I went to work for Microsoft on a product of theirs called BizTalk Server and helped build out this electronic data interchange capability. And then I switched while I was at Microsoft to another team, which was more of a pure business application. And that was called their product suite. There was called dynamics and it's a, a full suite of business functionality. So accounting, um, order entry, uh, stuff to manage manufacturing, all that sort of stuff. And so I stayed there for about five and a half years and, um, just felt like I wasn't, it's a big company and it's a big product team and interactions within customers. Um, I was very used to that from free markets and, and true commerce, which was the small AI company. Um, I had constant interaction with customers, not always fun and positive, but constant yeah. <laughs> and you get a lot of feedback and you improve and you, you know, and so I found myself a little bit more isolated there. And over time I kind of missed that. And at the same time, Um, kind of in the background over the, that time period, Microsoft and a large, um, consulting company called Accenture had joined forces and created a technology consulting company focused specifically on Microsoft technologies called Avanade, which is where I ended up. So I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. I could still work on this product space that I like, but now I can do it back in more of a consulting role and, um and get back in not front of feel customers. so isolated yeah. yeah and get back yeah. in front of customers so that's where i am now. Okay. that's where i've been in. there for seven and a half years so okay yeah that's a good stretch um all right so let's start the show <laughs> <laughs> what time do you wake up in the morning that depends on whether i'm going to the gym or not and whether i'm on the road or not but when i'm home and i'm going to the gym i wake up at five and five you use an alarm i have an alarm set but most days i'm waking up before it and just kind of laying there waiting for it to click on like it's one of those ones that the volume gets gradually louder Uh but i hear the electronic pop and i usually (laughs) yeah exactly um what's kind of the first move the the morning routine you get up out of bed what's the gym days i i get up you know just kind of brush my teeth, slap some water on my face. And I'm one of the people that needs to get up and out the door to the gym or I'm not going to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my wife's the opposite. She needs like an hour before she goes to the gym to get ready to go to the gym. But I am like, get me up and out. So I usually get up, go downstairs, let, you know, our dog out. And one of our dogs are, other dog's old, so he sleeps. <laughs> and then go to the gym, work out, um, usually stop. Swing so by Starbucks, get some coffee, come home, take a shower. And then, usually, either on the way home or as soon as I get out of the shower, I usually have some sort of call or something. So, being on the West Coast is tricky because if your clients are on the West Coast, then you're fine. If your clients are on the East Coast, then a lot of times, you know, you've got some really early stuff that you need to try and participate in. But most days, it's, you know, come home, shower, jump on a call, try and make some breakfast while I'm take them a call, and then walk down the hall to the den and, you know, get my day going. So that's the general situation is you can kind of work around your kitchen as you take a call? Yeah, you know, the beauty of things, technologies like Skype and WebEx and all those, you know, we don't do them with the video for the most part unless somebody's showing a PowerPoint presentation or doing some sort of demonstration with software. And so I can have the phone on my little stand with on mute while I'm making breakfast. And then if I need to go say something, I can kind of jump off mute, say something and then put it back on mute. So yeah, I can do, (laughs) I can definitely multitask and take business calls and, um, you know, kind of get my day going that way. Good. What's a, what's an average breakfast for you? Uh, you know, when I'm at home and the days I work out, it's usually a little sauteed spinach with three eggs scrambled up together. And, that's it. That's... Oh, that's good. That so, nice right? was mine for a long time. <laughs> I, I'm a creature of habit, and I don't like to have to think about what I want to eat when I have to think about so many other things, so exactly. I just eat the same thing every day. Nothing <laughs> wrong yeah, with that. It makes it nice. And... When I'm traveling, <laughs> it's cool. always a little different. It depends on where I'm staying, which hotel I'm staying at, whether the hotel offers breakfast or not. But, Well, let's just jump in for that for just a second. When you're on the road, what are some of your um, morning rituals to get situated? Cheat, so cheating it... a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, it depends. I try and stay at hotels that have hot breakfasts, which Mm -hmm. means they'll usually at least have scrambled eggs. Sometimes they'll have a little spinach or some sort of vegetable. Um, And then where my cheat is, usually I go a little heavier on the bacon and sausage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I usually eat bigger breakfasts on the road because it's never... um, if I'm going to meet a client, especially if we're doing more of a, a sales presentation or something, I never know when I'm going to be able to eat again until lunch. And then even then it might be iffy or late or something. Yeah. So I usually eat a big breakfast just to, and a big protein kind of yeah, just to be safe. heavier <laughs> breakfast to kind of keep me full for the whole morning. I pack a lot of snacks and stuff. but um, So yeah, and I usually, if I work out on the road, I usually work out in the evenings because yeah. it's easier to manage uh, than trying to get up super early and. Go work out and then do whatever. That makes sense. So are you, are you okay. flying out
1: east a lot, or is it? More... I haven't
0: been as much. So I switched roles. And, you know, my first five six years were in a particular kind of role, which was more of a sales oriented role, and I would fly all over the country. Um, this role here has so far been kind of west and midwest. I haven't had to go all the way east, um, but you know, most of the time I'm kind of west of the Rockies. Mm.
1: So what when, when you say you're you're doing some sales, are you, what are you guys selling? Are you selling your
0: consulting? We're selling services. services. So okay. a customer, one of two things will happen. A customer will decide, we want this, in our case, a Microsoft product, because that's primarily the only kind of consulting we do. They'll say, we, we've selected this Microsoft product and we need your help to implement it. Or we're evaluating these kinds of products one of which is a microsoft product and microsoft will ask us to come in and help them sell their product or their platform Hmm. and so we'll come in and do demonstrations for them and then once they pick that then we'll also probably have to go back and do a proposal for services to implement it yeah to get everyone to get it all installed to get people trained and sometimes if you have to configure it or customize it yeah, we'll do that work as well.
1: Now are you are you the one that goes in and plugs some stuff in, installs stuff, or is it is that part of your team, like somebody else on your team? So as that?
0: a you know, going back to that solution architect thing I was talking about at the very beginning of the conversation, I lay out what the whole solution should look like in terms of hardware software. And now a lot of times it's not hardware like your pc hardware it's cloud it's all virtual essentially yes. so i was like oh well, you want like this many servers and you need a database here and if you want you know this to be highly available you need to build a cluster and do this and do that and then we would have people come in and do that and sometimes depending on the nature of the project i would stick around and oversee that which is what i'm doing on the current project that i'm on in other cases somebody else would come in and take care of all that mm-hmm. So do you guys do any,
1: I'm trying to figure out how to word this question. It's kind of loaded. So all of your stuff is web-based or yeah. do you have a lot, anything that you actually have to go physically put in? in um, or is it really
0: we, we typically would not get involved in physically installing hardware anymore because even clients that manage their own data centers use virtualization technology within those yeah. data centers. So, they typically have an it team or outsource that to somebody like an ibm mm-hmm. that would manage the data center actually physically install hardware and then they would use you know virtualization technology to go in and start configuring virtual servers and that sort of thing mm-hmm. now when i was back you know when like was a true commerce or whatever yeah I, I was in putting servers into mm-hmm. racks and tightening mm-hmm. the bolts and running the <laughs> cables and doing yeah. all that sort of stuff so have some inclination of what goes on there, but uh, I don't do any of that sort of stuff anymore.
1: When when was the big transition to cloud?
0: Really um, mass adoption just in like the last three to five years. So Amazon Web Services really kind of got the ball rolling when they exposed the platform that they built the Amazon Marketplace on and made Mm -hmm. it available to programmers. And so it kind of started get more grassroots. And then Microsoft saw... The value that you know was going to be there, and invested heavily, and just built out massive data centers all around the world. Like they, I think they saw kind of a leap ahead in some ways. Of, so Amazon focused on accessibility of their you know different technologies, and they've got pretty much anything you could need on Amazon Web Services, and it's very accessible. Anybody from a single developer who's just trying to get a startup off the ground to large companies can go use. Amazon Web Services, Microsoft took a more enterprise perspective and said, we're going to build out global data centers, make them highly secure and redundant, and do all this. It took them a little longer to kind of get into the game in any substantial way. Mm -hmm. And then because they've got all these other business products that Amazon didn't have, they had to get them to actually re-engineer their products to run on their own cloud. Because people, like the one product I worked on, the Dynamics product, was one of those old client server products when i started on the team and a big push was to get it to be in the cloud and really be truly cloud enabled right because you could host a lot of stuff in the cloud but to make it a true cloud application is a little different mm-hmm. story so that was you know it's a transition that has taken them three to five years but that's really helped accelerate the pace okay yeah,
1: yeah, i can imagine I've even seen commercials now for Amazon Web Services, which kind of blows your mind.
0: Well, they felt they needed to advertise cuz Microsoft put on a big marketing push as well, like when they started rolling out Azure, if you've seen any. Yeah. Azure advertisements. That's their cloud platform. So I think Amazon realized they could get leapfrogged if they didn't, you know, really start making a bigger push, and especially toward the enterprise. Um, but even that's Changing because of global regulations. And, oh yeah, you know, information, ever, ever changing information privacy. Like it's amazing, all the different things that influence something that's just at its heart technology.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear all about it. Yeah, we can go down a whole rabbit hole of privacy. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Say, <laughs> like, do it. you want to? Because you can't. probably probably not it. super interesting we, for your listeners. Well, <laughs> these
0: particularly these IT interviews because he has a lot more knowledge about this whole thing it's so scary and doom and gloom for people like me who don't know anything about like vpn services or you know any of that stuff Uh regardless um so we'll We'll jump back to your day yeah do you want some more no i'm good No, i'm good water yeah i'm fine all right um back to your day okay you get home from the gym you're making breakfast you have a call what what time are we talking Uh, usually around eight eight o'clock and then i'll usually make my way down to my den when i'm at home and And that's where I'll spend, you know, the rest of my day for the most part. Okay, so you work from home. Yeah, for the most part, you know, there's, it's a big firm. We do a lot of work with Microsoft. So we actually have a separate office building five miles from my house that is where all the people that work on the Microsoft account work. So every now and then I'll go down there, but it's a rare yeah i would say how often is that that's if, if there's a project <laughs> going on that i'm actively involved with i'll i'll go down there a few times a week but other way other times i'll go down there maybe once a month and then we have a bigger office in downtown seattle which i never go to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough um all right so you, you've you taken this call how many calls are you taking what are you doing in that um say time between breakfast and lunch with, yeah. what's the Kind of depends on how actively involved I am with a particular project or a particular Well, let's just say just with an average day, if you just want to kind yeah. of do an all-encompassing So usually, kind of... you know, there's a handful, maybe two, three, four calls in a morning. Um, on projects, we will usually have some standard calls that are same time every day of the week. Um, if it's a sales pursuit, we might have a cluster of calls one week where we're talking two or three times a day. And then, you know after the proposals submitted, you know, we don't have to meet as frequently, but usually a handful of calls in the morning. And then, um, afternoons tend to be a little slower just because, especially if I'm working with people further East, their days are yeah. starting to wind down. So I usually get some hours later in the afternoon where I can actually do what I call real work. <laughs> <laughs> and what is your real work? What Sometimes it's, um, training just to try and keep keep up you know, like some self-training on new technologies or a new release of a particular technology that a vendor puts out. Um, and sometimes it's working on actual project deliverables or something like that, like designing, you know, what this particular solution looked like. So I put together a diagram and, you know, and some of that just is you need think time, right? You need <laughs> yeah. to be able to sit there and stare at your screen and draw stuff and delete it and redraw it and, Well, when you're talking about the the self-education stuff, are these things that you can get from your company internally? Or is this stuff that you're looking up online or finding from other resources? It's a combination of things. So a lot of times we partner with technology vendors that make the products that we implement. A lot of cases that's Microsoft and they've got a very robust set of training available online that you can go and do on a self-serve basis i'm going to say is this you because you're an employee or is this to open to Uh, it's actually open um to anybody interested depending on um how much you want to learn about a particular technology and whether you want to get certified or not so there's a lot of certifications you can get that you know i'm certified on azure infrastructure or you know yeah, or that makes sense. Whatever. Um, some of those will cost some money, but they're accessible to anybody who's willing to pay that. And in most cases, it's not terribly expensive. Um, I get a lot of benefit by being part of you know, a large organization. I, I I'm a strategic some, some partner at Microsoft. State. So <laughs> a lot of that we get for free. And, and then the technology vendors that, that we support that aren't Microsoft, a lot of times we have strategic partnerships with them and we get access to their training um for well Avanon pays for it so I get access to it um and that's right now a lot of what I'm doing because the space I'm working in is more non-Microsoft vendors and just they're it's a product space that's evolving rapidly and so this guy put out a release and then like two weeks later this guy's got a new release (laughs) and so you kind of got to. so as you have access you kind of keep keep track of everything and yeah stay educated okay so you work from home um taking calls do you take a break for lunch what do what you what's the situation i'm trying to just do the, the, the to. steps of the day what, yeah. what is the so i usually try to walk back down the hall out of the den mm-hmm. and it's funny you know people work at home in different ways i like to i'm fortunate to have a den that sits at one end of my house that is just my workspace and nobody else goes in there to play games or read or do anything it's yeah. my space So it feels like it's a mental bit that I need to flip because I never thought I would be very effective working at home, but I can flip this mental bit that I'm walking down the hall Mm -hmm. and I'm going to work. (laughs) So I also make an effort to try and walk back down the hall and have lunch. (laughs) And if it's nice outside, I like to go outside with dogs and, you know, run around, you know, play fetch or whatever, just to kind of clear the head a little all right so what time uh you looking at the clock when are you like all right it's about time for me to to, to take that break i usually i, I a creature of habit i usually try and do it somewhere between noon and one all right i usually only take a half hour unless it's been a particularly crazy morning I, yeah, I and sometimes it'll take hours. a little longer but then yeah. it also depends on when i have teed up for the afternoon too exactly there are some days where I literally go down, microwave something, come right back down in the den, and I'm eating lunch while I'm Just taking another go Going cut. right back at it. So, creature of habit, lunch. What are, What's a typical lunch for you? Usually, um, leftovers from whatever we've had for dinner. So, I, I try and do kind of like eating vegetables sort of stuff. I'm not a sandwich guy anymore. I used to be a big sandwich guy, but I um, try and manage the diet a little. And so, it's usually some leftover combination of meat and vegetable from what we've had, you know, previous nights during the week or last week or whatever. Fair enough. So you get back to your office and your den and what is the rest of the span of your day look like? What do you have mentally prepared to, I have to be in this room for how long? Um, A little bit dependent on how many meetings, but there's usually a little bit of a to-do list I create throughout the day, or maybe a little thing left over from the day before that I'm like, I want to at least get these three things done today. And so I usually will stay there, um, to get those things done. I usually try and stay online until five or five thirty at the earliest, just to, if people are out there and cause a lot of my interactions during the day are instant message through Skype or whatever. Yeah. And so I would just, i like to stay online in case people need support because a big part of my role is supporting our internal organization around stuff. But then there are nights where either I've got a lot to do or I've got meetings with guys in India. Yeah. And so sometimes I'm in there till six, six thirty, or sometimes I come out, have dinner, and then I go back in at like eight to take a call with like a guy in India who's just starting his day. Yeah. Something like that. So, um, you have anything? No, not really. So, uh, you shoot for 5 or 5.30, that's the general idea, and then you just make yourself available for the rest of the day, depending on who's... Yeah, and I mean, mobile technology is wonderful because I get all my work email and Skype on my phone, and so, um, you know, even if I decide to, you know, go in and hang out and watch the news or or whatever, I can always kind of keep an eye on things, and if something urgent comes up every now and then, I'll pop up and, run down to the den and log onto my computer to check it out just because it's easier to. Okay. Something I that... go ahead. Well, what
1: are your urgent things? Typically is it something blowing up or is it usually something stupid kind of? Cause I,
0: it, it really could run the gamut. So in uh, some cases it's just, um, a lot of times, especially if I'm on a project and there's guys from India working on the project, they'll just be starting their day and they'll see some email that somebody sent them. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was somebody else on the project earlier in our day but they're just seeing it now and they've got questions and if i don't actually answer those questions in my night i basically waste their whole day exactly (laughs) so i you know i pay attention to those things and i get up and i try and answer them and make sure they've got what they need to do to be productive while i'm sleeping (laughs) Um, that would be one example other examples are just little questions like hey you know i'm working on this proposal did you see xyz what do you think blah, 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 blah kind of stuff. So they're like two-minute, five-minute sorts of questions. Yeah. So. When you're creating that to-do list, what are you using for that? You an old-school pen and paper guy? I don't, uh, I don't you think so. i bounced around a lot. <laughs> well, let's just throw a few out there just so for the nerds out I, there. So I really, a while ago, really tried to make the move to being a completely technology to-do list guy. And I failed multiple, multiple times and would <laughs> resort to just post-it notes and then i actually at one point in time I'm, I'm kind of a pen geek and a notebook geek and so i'm like i want to buy this nice little um moleskin thing and keep a very and that lasted for like three days you know <laughs> and so i've actually outlook has become my to-do world with um a little applet that comes with windows 10 which is an online post-it note mm. and so stuff that's longer term i set to-dos up in outlook with reminders um, and then stuff that's like the today list that I was talking mm-hmm. about earlier. A lot of times I'll just do in a little post-it on my screen. So yeah, I have kind of moved complete. Finally, after years and years of trying <laughs> have moved away from pen and paper for managing my like, to-do lists. So. And do you, do you feel obligated to stick to my Microsoft products or do you just think that's the way to go? Um, we're a Microsoft yeah. Yeah. centric company. So that's our default for most things. And, um, you know with windows 10 and everything a lot of it's really good stuff i still don't use edge like as a browser i'll go to chrome that's you know one area where i deviate and i finally broke away from the windows phone a few years ago and went android but um, but most part i do t- you know cuz that's what we consult on that's what we're supposed to advise people on and so there's a certain sense of obligation to use it so that i know it really well but in a lot of cases it's actually a really good so I don't feel a need to go out and look for other stuff
1: yeah I didn't realize how in-depth outlook was until I started working on my last job oh yeah the amount of stuff <clears> you can <throat> do with outlook alone not everything else just outlook yeah to keep
0: track of yourself it's yeah I use so much other weird stuff that it's like I probably could find something that could consolidate everything together but I kind of like my three tier system. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um just to wrap your day up in general, do you have any advice for someone who'd want to get into your type of field? Yeah, I think you know, there's my type of field has a bunch of different dimensions to it. So, technology is one element of my field, but kind of the consulting piece is another. And so I'd kind of answer that question in two parts. Okay. On the on the technology side, um I would say it's not the kind of profession you want to get into just to earn a paycheck like you got to like it you got to be passionate about it because it does change Mm -hmm. so rapidly if you're not psyched about learning something new or seeing what's going on over here you're just going to get overwhelmed in a heartbeat yeah just not for you it's not gonna it's not gonna be a long career for the most part unless you just pick this very narrow niche that's reasonably stable but then you're not going to have a whole lot of career growth well, that's what I, the idea is that we're talking to like a confused high schooler that's just like, I know I like this. I know I like that. What's where do I what's yeah. the next step? Where do I focus on? So so from a technology standpoint, I would say you have to be interested in at least some dimension of technology and it, you, know, you don't have to love everything technology. Right? It's a huge field now and it's getting huge, huger. Well, that's (laughs) a by the day. And so you really got to pick an area that you like, that you're interested in, and and try and keep some guardrails around it. Because even if you are passionate, you'll get overwhelmed. Well, we've had several of these IT interviews, and they're all so vastly different. I I think the general idea is everyone likes, all of the people that would be interested in listening to this like the technology field. But I think with you, with the consulting and everything, would be a little... um, a different aspect because you actually have to talk to people and deal yeah. with people on like, it sounds like that's kind of your whole day is talking to people. It right? is. It is. It's a lot of expectation management and, um, you know, just some of its education. Cause you know, if you're working with a client and you, and it's a new technology to them, they're going to ask a lot of very basic questions and you have to be very patient and help them understand, the technology in some cases in, in little bits and pieces, you know, it's kind of a crawl, walk, run progression. Um, and in some cases they're just cranky people and you just got (laughs) to deal with crankiness because they're customers. Uh, you know, so you have to, so consulting is not for everybody. Even if you are passionate about technology, you really have to, um, be able to kind of deal with all sorts of different people. You have to be used to things that change, not Technology change, but your world changes. Mm-hmm. So, my wife is very used to me walking down the hall at lunch and saying, "Oh, I have to fly to blah 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 city next Monday," mm-hmm. <laughs> with you know sometimes less than two days notice, uh, and you know that's just a, an aspect of being a consultant in a in a larger larger organization. So, and that's that's exactly what I was fishing for, like that yeah. that aspect of the job that that is very unique to what you do yeah. and you have to have yeah, like a partner that would be understanding of that and being able to deal yeah, with Yeah, it, it definitely has a, like life balance means a much different thing to me than it probably does for somebody who works in a larger company in their IT organization. Right? Life balance to them is walking out the door at 5.30, hopefully not getting any calls in the evening, doing whatever it is they do every evening, every week, and coming back into work at 8. Life balance for me is you know, hopefully getting 3 days at home next week and not having to go, you know, too far on an airplane <laughs> and then, you know, getting you know small handfuls and pockets of time with with my family whenever I can in whatever city that takes place in. <laughs> All right. So,
1: uh, go ahead. So, if, if you have to take a step back and telling somebody that wants to get into this specific kind of IT field, yeah, what would you tell them to go to school for? Cuz it's I don't really think, I don't know. It doesn't sound like they'd go to for computer science in particular.
0: It, part or of it depends. They? So there's there's so many different roles in IT that you can play. If you like the technical stuff, computer science is still an excellent path to go down. Now, there's lots of splinters of that for people that have a little bit more of an interest in business aspects of IT so you can go in for information sciences is another major that's very good. And a lot of people in consulting actually end up going into because it teaches some of the softer skills and some of the analytical skills. And there's usually a little bit of basic business classes that mm-hmm. that come into play there. But there's still also a little bit of a technical element so that they can communicate with technical people. Because a lot of the hardcore development work these days takes place offshore. And so you still need people on shore that have those skills, um, in order to be able to effectively communicate and evaluate what people offshore are doing. But, um, you know, less and less is it critical mass of people on shore doing that, um, from an undergraduate perspective. Now the, the birth of a lot of the online universities and associate degree programs, which are very popular now, there's now a new tier of kind of programming, level people that um, are starting to get you know back into that work because it's now affordable again. Mm-hmm. Because you don't pay somebody who's got an associate degree, same salary, you pay somebody who's got a computer science degree from a four-year university. So, um, yeah. Now, is there any kind of extra uh, bump you would get in this career with other language skills? Like with the offshore kind of thing? Are there certain people that... Flourish just because they, they are bilingual in other yeah I mean specific it, it, languages? It depends on the firm and depends on, on kind of the area you're in. So I don't know a lot of people um, in the U.S. that speak the various Indian languages. There's actually multiple languages yeah. they speak in India, like Telugu. and I don't even know what some of them are. Um, so not a lot of people do that because all the Indian folks are typically... <clears throat> Go to some sort of school or university where they had to learn English. Hmm. Chinese a little different. I would imagine if you were capable of speaking Chinese, um, that you would be a very valuable resource. I, again, I don't know a lot of people that that do that, but you um, Spanish and French are extremely useful. Hmm. Um, if you know if you do a lot of business in Europe, French, German, any of the Romance languages would certainly come in handy. But I think that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. All right, so to wrap this up, then we will get into the fun stuff. Um, do you have any stories or pet peeves in general that stick out to you that you'd want to share? Stories or pet peeves, that's... or both, or both, or Got both. A lot of pet peeves and a lot of stories. Uh, you know, I think I think one of the, and I guess it's a pet peeve, but it's something I've, had, as a consultant, I've had to manage is. Um, You know, a lot of times we go into customers, client situations, and work with, and and we work with big clients, right? So they've got these, a lot of departments. And we go in and work for this department that's made some technology choice, but it's very dependent on all these other groups to be successful. And they've not done any (laughs) communication. So my biggest pet peeve is walking in there, and these guys are all gung-ho to go, and things just hit this brick wall because these three other departments are like, we've never heard of this project. <laughs> so that would be my biggest, that's a very Popular one the lack of communication between, yeah, I think that that's the craziest part about talking to people <laughs> about jobs in, in well 2019 and now is that everyone can talk to everyone all over the planet, and our one of our biggest problems is communication. <laughs> Absolutely, it's insanity. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, Probably one of my favorite, I'll share go, a consulting oh, yes. story just this could never happen in the modern day and i think people especially younger people that are kind of growing up in the post nine eleven era would find fascinating but i was uh where's I? I just started at at the ernst and young job so this was probably early 90s like 91 92 and i had my first opportunity to go abroad to get a project with fiat the hmm. car maker in italy yeah. and um, one of our partners from another office called up and said, hey, I was at the time I was one of our global like methodology gurus. And he's like, I need you to come over and help us lay out all the work planning and all this stuff. I'm like, sure, Italy, I'm down, yeah, right? Let's do you know. it. <laughs> and uh, I had a flight on my birthday. And um, and back then we wore suits and we were taking a red eye and going right over to the office and then the client and so i had to fly in my suit and what uh, are your direct flight to italy no no I so was i'm saying. still living here in pittsburgh and coming over to my parents house to celebrate my birthday and uh, and then i had to leave and go to the airport and uh, i was born in december so it was winter or right before officially winter but late fall and i was starting to get sick and so I go there, my flights that I was connecting from Pittsburgh to Chicago, and then Chicago I was supposed to meet this partner, <laughs> meet this partner, and then fly from Chicago over to Italy. All right. And so our flight is delayed out of Pittsburgh because of the weather, and I get to Chicago, and I'm trying to sprint through Chicago's a- airport, which is huge, yeah. uh, in a suit, carrying a garment bag, sick as a dog, and I have to literally run like across the whole airport because... The domestic flights landed over here and the international flights left over here. And I get to the gate where my flight is and there's nobody there. There's no gate agents, but the plane is still sitting there and I can make eye contact with the pilot, but the door's locked. So I can't get down the jetway and, and he's like, he kind of holds up a little finger, like, hold on. (laughs) And the phone rings at the gate agent desk, but there's no gate agent there. So I go over and pick up the phone, and he's like, if you can find somebody to unlock that door, I'll let you on this plane, but it's got to happen in the next four minutes or I'm going to lose my takeoff slot. Wow. So, just think of all the things that just happened there that you could absolutely never do today without getting arrested, and that no pilot would do today without losing his job. Unfortunately, I did not make it onto the flight because nobody showed up in the next four minutes. Um, And I ended up finding another way to to Italy and and connecting with my boss in the office and everything. But I just like sharing that story because people's jaws drop like, you did what? You did that? (laughs) The pilot called you? so different yeah (laughs) it's so different
1: back then i got one more thing before we hop into that oh go ahead questions so where where do you think we're headed what's the next big thing so cloud storage (laughs) is still growing i'm I'm assuming it's still going to continue to grow but what's the next big
0: so one of the interesting phenomenons is that with all these interesting technologies popping up i think all the next big things come from convergence of different technologies Mm -hmm. and right now i think um cloud computing, artificial intelligence, and automation all are kind of converging with big data. And I think you're going to start to see a lot of scary kind of autonomous intelligence Hmm. blossoming in software. Like Hmm. The area I work in right now is just around helping companies automate manual business processes where they're typing stuff in and and having a computer do that. And then when you start sprinkling in things like machine learning to that and different algorithms where those thingies can start making decisions Mm. (laughs) or interpreting pictures or doing stuff like that. And then you smash that together with all the data that's just lying out there from social media and everything you can. And I'm sure folks like Google and Instagram are already worlds ahead of that. Um, But the business world, I think, is going to start adopting it. And you're going to actually start seeing some really interesting things happen from businesses and what what businesses can do. That's super creepy. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It is a little scary.
0: It's cool and and crazy at the same time, just the amount of... And then when you smash that together with what all the car makers are doing with self-driving cars... Terminator starts to feel a lot more real than yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, just a sci-fi movie, right? Yeah. Self-awareness, I think, is still you know, I'm a little skeptical about, but extreme autonomous intelligence um, combined with robotics and all the sensor technologies that are available is... It's gonna be pretty creepy. Yes. It's there. I mean, it's just enough videos that have made it around the mainstream. It's like that's what they're showing us. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what's going on? I mean, I can't. I
1: can't wait for self-driving cars. It'll get more people off the road that can't
0: drive. I agree with that. As in long as I still role, can drive with my role. own car. Yeah. yeah. If I have to pass a test, well, and be like, all right, I can. You can. Yeah. You know. I mean, but think about you know guys that do UPS for a living. They could essentially be out of a job in ten years. True, you can have a true. self-driving yeah. truck with a robot on board that delivers a package to your doorstep. Yeah, you it can have a little delivery. Well, no, you'd have a delivery box like like you do a, in a lot of neighborhoods you can have, have your own those little garbage Amazon cans cans locker that... on your porch, mm. right? An Amazon drone will come down and deposit something in your Amazon locker, and it'll be all secure, like. You, I don't, that stuff's not that far-fetched. Well, they got that, right. the, the, the Whole Foods thing now, too. You can get packages delivered from Amazon to Whole Foods and you just go grocery shopping. I'm like, hey, let me grab my packages while and I'm And then there. you throw VR into the mix. You you know, Amazon Go stores are pretty cool because you kind of walk in and just pick a bunch of stuff up. But what if you walked through a virtual Amazon Go store, picked all that stuff up and left, and then an and hour just... later it showed up on your doorstep? Yeah, I it mean, doesn't seem too far it's, off. It's all there, it right? Yeah. Technology's all there. It's just a matter of people putting it together in an economical way, working out all the bugs and getting over all the regulatory. And, Since and you are in Seattle, solutions. have you been to the Amazon store? I've not been to the Go store. It's downtown, but hmm. I've seen all the stuff they're doing in the Whole Foods out there. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. I, uh, <laughs> it seems more abundant in Pittsburgh, too, now they seem to make it. Even Amazon lockers, I think, are pretty cool because... I was on a project in Denver, and I was staying there for an extended period of time, and I needed something that I knew I could get on Amazon, and I didn't want to ship it to the hotel because I didn't trust that it would ever get to me. Yeah, but there was an Amazon locker in a Seven Eleven like a block away, and so I ordered it, had shipped to the Amazon locker, I went down, and picked it up from the Amazon locker. Wow, that right. was good. Yeah, yeah. we don't right. we don't have that here in Pittsburgh <laughs> yet. There's a pit. there's one in Pitt. No, there's there's one. In oakland. in oakland it's not and yeah. it's like a freestanding amazon store I, I went in there once it was it was kind of creepy yeah but uh but yeah like amazon lockers like there's no reason why all the other 7-elevens or other things couldn't pick up that if we're going down a bad rabbit hole <laughs> that's, what do you mean a bad rabbit hole not this a sucks. bad rabbit hole it's like we, we the ghost stores are weird because the people i've talked to, my friends that have gone there say you feel like a shoplifter no oh, yeah you're just taking things <laughs> not yeah just not not just the taking things and walking out but the fact that you know you're being watched Oh, yeah. oh yeah. you're being sensed, yeah. right? Because there's RFID tags, there's lasers, there's all these cameras that, t- they, so they know exactly what you picked up off the show, and you walk out the door and you get charged for it. and Everything's good, but it just feels a little, yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah, there's, there's so many cameras around nowadays. It, it it just like every time I watch the news, there's at least one story with one of those ring doorbells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Showing somebody doing right. something. Right. It might not even have anything to do with their house. It's just like it was watching over right. there. Oh yeah. And it's like, well how did I thought you had to press the No? That the camera's just on. So alright. Who's <laughs> this cra- this is why we have the fun question at the end to okay. get out of the <laughs> weird doom and gloom technology stuff when we do. Um all right, your ideal breakfast, not your regular breakfast, just uh, ideal. You're on vacation, you can have whatever you want. breakfast, don't have to worry about the diet. Um, I love cinnamon rolls. So I still, I love sausage. So I would still probably have maybe like an egg and a little bit of good sausage or nice crisp bacon, but, and it would have to have a cinnamon roll with some white frosting on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. I like that. Uh, what's the best advice you ever got? I ever got, ooh. Um, <laughs> I think it was probably from that high school teacher I was talking about way back when. Because one of the things I always struggled with in high school was I was a pretty good athlete. And so I was kind of affiliated with a lot of the jocks. But I was a pretty smart guy. And I would take like AP classes and hang out with the nerds. And I was really conflicted as a high school student. And he was both. right. He coached track and football. And he taught calculus. And the best advice he told me was there's nothing wrong with be in both right just embrace them both and be you and go do that and so that was was really good advice yeah i think that's a good piece of advice yeah. uh, what movie do you think you've seen the most oh that is uh probably a toss-up between animal house and caddyshack I think I'd probably give a nod to Animal House. We, yeah. my, my roommate in college, had a big screen, an old one of his old projection big screen TVs, mm-hmm. and we had the videotape. Yes, the VCR videotape. <laughs> and I think we watched that three times a week for like three years
1: straight. Nice, so, nice.
0: We that. Uh, what's your biggest fear? Like phobia, fear, or fear, fear. Interpret the question okay. any way you want. Or both. Now or I'm both. Curious if, yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I have a lot of phobias, in terms of like bugs or heights or mm. anything like that. Um, I don't know. I guess as a as a parent with adult kids in the world, I guess my biggest fear would be around them being happy and successful or, or not being happy. Or, okay. Yeah. You know, it's a good safe. answer. Yeah, I get it. Uh, favorite candy? Any candy in the world? Ooh. Um, Probably Swedish Fish. All right. Interesting choice. <laughs> uh, childhood hero. Oh, uh, probably it would be one of, you know, I grew up in the golden era of the Steelers, so probably have been like Lynn Swan. I guess would probably be because he was like my favorite stealer, so I guess that's it. all right. That works. Uh, what kind of soap do you use? I'm a. What do they call those little spongy balls? It's kind of like a loofah, I guess. It's like yeah, a puff ball with, kind of with, deal. Um, Dove liquid, I guess. Yeah. I think it's Dove. Yeah. Dove liquid, yeah. I'm not particular about my soap, but I like the the liquid soap on the loofah because it lathers up better. Nice. Lufa's game changer. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, I'm not a fan, but I, I get it. I understand. Um, last pick you took on your phone. You don't have to show us. Just you know, if you got an idea. Oh, just uh, this morning on the pheasant hunt. So. Oh yeah, you were hunting pheasant. Yeah. Did we, you get any? We did. Yeah. Well, you can't not because that's the whole <laughs> thing. As you go and you buy them and they go put them out in the field. Oh, I you, didn't know that was the. They flushed <laughs> I've them never up. been. And as long as you can aim halfway decent, you usually get some. But we actually did pretty well. Yeah. Nice. Uh, general pet peeve general pet peeve hmm I think people who um, don't pay attention to their surroundings I agree with that very much That's why I won't grocery shop before 9 p.m. (laughs) That's psychic. Situational awareness? Are you absolutely out of your mind? Situational awareness. (laughs) I don't know how you've been staying here for the last week. (laughs) I've grown numb to the current context Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a lifetime. Um, What type of music do you listen to and why? I actually have pretty eclectic music tastes. And most of the time I listen to music when I travel. To keep myself calm in the presence of many people who lack situational awareness. <laughs> that is a great answer and a why. <laughs> I like the time and synergy. Mm-hmm. Uh, food, spicy, not spicy. I'm a, usually a spicy, not like crazy hot spicy, but I like a little heat. All right, good, good, good. Uh, What's the hardest time you ever laughed? Hardest time you ever laughed? Oh, that's a good one. I'd have to say it was probably on a guide trip I take with my buddies. We go to what used to be the Big East basketball tournament, now it's the ACC basketball tournament. And we were at a a bar, it's called McSorley's in kinda of lower Manhattan. And I forget, my one buddy's he's funny, he just went especially when he's drinking, he's cracking. I, I don't even remember exactly what the joke was, but he was gone he gets on these little riffs where he just starts going <laughs> off. And he was going off on something and we were just literally about to pee ourselves in this bar. Nice. I love that it's very specific. Um let's see. Tipping custom. Um I'm a usually a straight twenty percenter. Um if uh you know, if service was bad I'll dip down to fifteen, but I feel like servers have kind of a tough job to begin with, so I usually always tip no matter how bad that is. Like Uber depends on how far I'm going and if they're getting a the small fare I usually tip them a higher percentage, but you know. I have just a sidebar on this one because you're a technology guy. And I delivered food for years. I drove for Uber and did all that stuff. I felt like once these companies like Grubhub and Uber Eats and just regular Uber and stuff like that, all of the tips started to go down when they started to recommend those numbers. Mm -hmm. Because the recommended numbers are always way lower than people would instinctually tip. Do you know anything about that? Any insight you know, of like a, how they made that decision? It's a really interesting observation and I've started, started to make it once Uber introduced tipping into the app because I would, in my head I knew what the fare was in advance obviously and in my head I kind of had when I was tipping and I wouldn't see that number. And then I noticed that in kind of small print, I could actually go do a custom amount. And so I just exactly. started kind of doing custom amounts because I wanted to tip what I wanted to tip, not what Uber wanted me to tip. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I don't know what's driving that. It's a really interesting observation. And, and um, yeah, it's kind I know, of. When I, when I was still in it, it was absolutely infuriating because yeah. at least, like, if someone ordered a, something small, you'd at least get two or three bucks. And then when they introduced their little, like, tip calculator thing, Mm -hmm. it was like, tip him 86 cents. It, it. it, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think they need to refine that because, like, for fares and deliveries under a certain amount, they should give you flat dollar amounts. And then when bigger things, like if i'm going to the airport and it's going to be a $50 uber ride then that's more of a percentage based thing. Yeah, there's yeah. a whole a yeah, spectrum that's... of things why they should the reasons why they shouldn't do that and yeah. i mean i'm guilty of it too. Like i've taken an uber home drunk and just been like, yeah, what you said, uber. But it's like, oh, i only tipped that guy, you know, whatever. And it's like that yeah. that's not that's not fair it's bringing all the averages down yeah yeah no so there's times like when i take short uber rides where i'll, I'll tip the guy like 50 or 75 percent, but it's exactly only, like three or four bucks because it was only a six dollar uber ride. exactly that's all right they're done with the sidebar um <laughs> if someone gave your 18 year old self a thousand dollars what do you think you'd do with it oh probably something stupid yeah let's my get 18, into my, my <laughs> old self was not a good money manager back then i'm sure uh 18 year old self yes yeah, so i was a college like a freshman i'm sure i would have spent that on booze yeah fair enough part someone gave you a thousand dollars right now what'd you do with it um just free money just boom here you go do whatever you want that probably depend on the expense of the day (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah uh, that's a harder one to answer just because um you know in the process of getting the kids off the payroll so i still got some kid expenses there's, you know, I'm sure, you know, my wife and I would probably go out to dinner or do something like that. But um, that seems good. I like yeah. that answer. It's not bad. Um, favorite vegetable? Um, it's either cauliflower, cauliflower, or um, asparagus. I'll go asparagus. It's Good. Love asparagus. Uh, where do you see yourself in ten years? Hopefully retired. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you have a favorite cocktail? I do. Um, it's kind of a, my own little custom twist on, on, on Manhattan. So I, rye whiskey with a little bit of St. Germain, if you've ever heard of mm-hmm. St. Germain. Yeah. And a little bit of lime juice. That's kind Sounds of Sounds delightful. Idea, yes. Gin and tonic would be my backup if I just had to go straight off the shelf, so. Yeah. Um, what's something you wish you learned earlier? Um... Probably not. Not to be afraid to fail. Like your whole life is going to be filled with <laughs> failures and and stuff that just didn't work out. And in most cases, you end up learning or meeting people or good things happen that benefit you probably exponentially more than the failure hurt you. Um, so right. that's probably good. I kind was kind of... doing that when I was first starting out. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of toothpaste to use. Um, usually Arm and Hammer. Like the yeah, old school. Yeah, <laughs> is it old school or is it well, just something like, they tried to rebrand? i, I, I don't take Arm and Hammer and no, I, I know that. I mean, like, <laughs> did they, they always have the toothpaste? No, or is no, they started that... coming out with I mean, it's been around for a little while, but um, a long time ago, people used to mix Arm and Hammer and water and brush their teeth with it because mm-hmm. the baking soda is beneficial. And then they started, once they caught on, they're like, oh, we could probably make toothpaste, and so they started doing that. and they, I do it just because my teeth stain easily, and it's a little bit more Good start. scrubby. What's uh, What's one thing you'd change about yourself? I think uh, probably managing my frustration better. So I'm usually a pretty even-keeled guy and pretty pleasant, and then when I get frustrated, I get a little snippy. So And my mood changes, like so I wish I had a little better control over that. Oh. Fair enough. Uh, childhood celebrity crush. Whew. Celebrity crush. Mm. Probably Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. Linda Wonder. Carter. All right. Um, if you could do anything in the world, like any job, what would it be? Oh, I would absolutely be an NFL football analyst. I want Chris <laughs> Collinsworth, job. That's what I would do. <laughs> Good answer. Put me in the booth without Michaels. It's very specific, and I like it. <laughs> um. Do you have like a sleep routine? Anything that helps you get to bed at night? Um, I mean, I have a nighttime routine. I don't know that it necessarily helps me sleep. Um, and as I get older, sleep is, you know, kind of inconsistent. So, not, not nothing in particular. I've started to, what's that supplement? Melatonin. So, I started taking melatonin. the melatonin to, it helps a little. Um, but what I find best is if I limit myself to just like a glass of wine or two, then I'm usually good. If I have a little more than that, then I will not sleep very well, so...